0: Welcome back. Thursday, March 9th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson Our phone number is six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. 960 Clearly, we are in the midst of several battlefronts in what are oft times referred to as the education wars. While many of us kind of thought we ran some great school board candidates last November and elected governors like Glenn Youngkin the year before, That we fired back and either established our own beachhead or thwarted the assault on our nation's children. We thought we won. We cannot think that. We cannot rest. The opposition is anything but defeated or out of energy. Our thinking needs to be much more akin to what Winston Churchill said in 1942. He said, now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning Of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Now, when Churchill said that, it was three years before World War II was over. He said it a year and a half after the Blitz in London. It was after one major British victory that he said that in Egypt. Resting on laurels or thinking all the battles won, Churchill imparted would be a mistake. And so, too, for us. Youngkin in 2021 and some school board elections last year was the end of the beginning. Our opponents, though, have not surrendered. I give you what took place at Washington Elementary in regards to anti-Christian bigotry last week. I give you the story that came out yesterday that nearly 6,000 U.S. public schools are employing guidance policies that block parents from knowing whether their child identifies as a different gender in the classroom than they do at home. I give you all the efforts to demonize Ron DeSantis for trying to remove child pornography from the classrooms in Florida in his efforts to oppose the teaching of neo-Marxist American history. And I give you this right in or out of Virginia, the locus, the London, if you will, of these education wars. From the Wall Street Journal today, though Governor Glenn Youngkin directed the removal of critical race theory from Virginia schools, that hasn't stopped the Virginia Teachers Union from using its pipeline to teachers to promote the teaching of a left-wing political agenda and activism. A toolkit pushed by the Virginia Education Association shows how they do it. The Black Lives Matter at School organization promotes an annual week of action, which took place. February 6th through 10th this year. The VEA, the Virginia Education Association, encouraged its members to participate and offered an instruction manual to be used as a resource guide for advancing racial justice in Virginia's schools, as Taisha Steele, director of the Human and Civil Rights Division at the VEA, wrote in a memo with the materials. The toolkit promotes 13 guiding principles of the BLM movement. These include, and I'm quoting, working towards a queer affirming network where heteronormative thinking no longer exists, the disruption of Western nuclear family dynamics, a return to the collective village that takes care of each other. The idea the nuclear family is a Western construct, by the way, would certainly surprise Chinese, Indians, and Koreans, don't you think? But the toolkit includes links to lesson plans some produced by the left-wing Southern Poverty Law Center's education branch. One encourages middle and high school students to consider the trans-affirming BLM principle, quote, we are committed to being self-reflective in doing the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women, who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence, close quote. The materials go beyond dubious instruction to training for political activism. As young BLM pioneers, lesson plans encourage students to think about how they can get involved in the BLM movement for other causes. A tip sheet for hosting a virtual event encourages organizers to, quote, build a list of activists or volunteers for future engagement. A research question for sixth graders, how will you liberate yourself and your oppressors? Sixth graders knowing a lot about who their oppressors and what oppression is. By the way, I bet you thought, as so many told us, the BLM education line on disrupting the nuclear family was removed from the BLM curriculum. As you can see, clearly it is not. Do recall the progressive neo Marxist dialect we have sketched out here before. First, deny an accusation. Is taking place. Second, when it becomes clear the accusation is correct, defend the action as an inherent positive or positive good while attacking the po- opponents, and then mandate the action. Before we go a little further, a note on the phrase education wars that I wanted to get to. The phrase is really a misnomer. None of this is really about education. It's about children, yes, but not their education. It's about Politicalizing our children. It's about activism. It's about turning classrooms into indoctrination training camps. It's about the opposite of what most of us think of as education. But it's not the opposite of the modern education establishment and movement. The Virginia situation is sponsored by the local chapter of the National Education Association. On their website, we're told the president of the NEA. Quote, is a middle school science teacher with 31 years of classroom experience and has distinguished herself as a fierce social justice warrior and defender of education rights, Close quote. They tell us who they are and what they are, don't they? Fierce social justice warrior. Let me pause on that last phrase. You'll note I almost never speak of our political opponents as enemies here. I much Prefer the Thomas Jefferson phraseology of thinking they are our opponents. But what do you call your opponent when the word warrior and fierce is what it is they brag about as their autobiographical and qualifications calling card? As for the local or Virginia affiliate, one Taisha Steele of the Virginia Education Association is leading this effort, as the Wall Street Journal mentions. Last month, she wrote this, telling us of broadcasting, boasting as to what the association and she are all about. Quote, we're determined to raise awareness about and advocate to destroy institutional racism in our schools. We understand the need for policy changes to promote a just public education in our schools and for holding our politicians accountable on this issue. Close quote. Tell me what in those sentiments comports with your understanding about what teaching our students in public schools is supposed to be about. We thought and think the focus would be or should be getting our children to be literate and numerate and knowing some science and history. They think the focus is destroying institutional invisibilities like systemic racism and working with organizations As Miss Steele tells us she does on her website, like, quote, the Fitz-Turner Commission for Human Relations and Civil Rights, the Minority and Women's Concern Committee, the LGBTQ plus ad hoc committee and the HCR training cadre, close quote. That last one raised my hackles. Cadre. That's not a word many use in non-political or non-ideological contexts. In fact, it is mostly used and known in Leninist terminology and as a Marxist-Leninist concept. One communist website defines Cadre as, quote, members of a Leninist party defined by our commitment to socialist revolution and to membership in the party, capital P, of course. The Marxist Student Federation will explain to you a cadre is, quote, a group of professional revolutionaries, close quote. If you want something slightly more neutral, the Oxford Encyclopedia explains that a cadre is, quote, a cell of trained communist leaders or a member of such a cell. The political use of this military term The encyclopedia goes on, indicates the intention of the Leninist leadership of the Russian Revolution to create a disciplined, hierarchically organized and swiftly responsive system of control of the revolutionary movement. The cadre system is the embodiment of the vanguard party, which Lenin believed was made necessary by the inability of the working class to achieve class consciousness spontaneously, close quote. You search around a bit and you'll find this work with human and civil rights cadres, as they call themselves, is not unique to Virginia teachers unions. HCR cadre efforts with teachers unions won through almost all of the state education unions from Texas to New Jersey. In any, of, in any event, I'm hoping you take the point here. There are two views of education operating in America and perhaps two notions of war or education wars. One group, mostly parents and one would hope students, is about education in the liberal arts and sciences. But there is another view, which is the teaching should be something else. All instigated in and since the 1960s, when the ethos of teaching was to make teaching a revolutionary act, as one of the most popular books of the time was titled. Brazilian Marxist Paulo Ferrer changed modern education and teaching with his 1970 book titled The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. There, he put it that all children in a capitalist society were oppressed, and the role of the teacher was to reveal that and change that. That book, that professor, Ferrer, is catechism at our teachers' schools. As Stahl's, as excuse me, as Saul Stern put it, pedagogy of the oppressed mentions none of the issues that troubled educational reformers throughout the 19th century or even today. Testing standards, curriculum, the role of parents, how to organize schools, what subjects should be taught in various grades, how best to train teachers, the most effective way of teaching disadvantaged students. The said school bestseller is instead a utopian political tract calling for the overthrow of the capitalist hegemony and the creation of classless societies. Maybe now you understand why our scores suck. To get an idea of the book's priorities, take a look at its footnotes. Ferrer isn't interested in the Western tradition's leading education thinkers. Not Rousseau, not Piaget, not John Dewey even. Not Horace Mann, not Maria Montessori. He cites a rather different set of figures. Marx, Lenin, Mao, Che Guevara, and Fidel Castro, as well as radical intellectuals Franz Fanon, Regis Debray, Herbert Marcuse, Jean-Paul Sartre, Louis Althusser, and George Lukács. And no wonder, since Ferrer's main idea is that the central contradiction of every society is between the oppressors and the oppressed, and that revolution should resolve their conflict. And if you need a reminder where that nagging disruption and dissolution of that family Stuff comes from, as in the BLM curriculum. All you have to do do is go to chapter two of Karl Marx's manifesto, Communist Manifesto, where he writes of the import of, in his phrase, vanishing the family structure. How so? By use of social education. And it is that, right there, less family stability and formation that has the greatest negative impact on education outcomes, if the outcomes to be measured are things such as not dropping out and getting better and better scores and grades in topics and subjects like reading, math, science, and history. The achievement gap in these outcomes has one big, inescapable, ineluctable, time-tested factor that has been true since the famous James Coleman report in 1964, tested over and over and over and over again. It's all about family and family formation and stability doesn't make some difference when it comes to education outcomes. It makes all the difference in the world. So, of course, disrupting and destroying that would be Marxist desiderata. But again, it's not education and it's not anything helpful to the very notion of black or anyone else's lives mattering and being cared for and brought up to succeed in life, be it in school, before school, or after. One big thing no one needs is less stable families. In his book, The End of Education, Neil Postman observes... In his vast study of democracy in America, Alexis de Tocqueville concluded that all our political problems end up in the courts. Had there existed a public school system when he wrote, he might have added that all America's social problems end up in our schools. The left got this, folks. We did not. Until recently. So war was declared. The war came, as Abraham Lincoln would put it. One side would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish, and the war came. But again, to Churchill, we clearly haven't won it, and it clearly isn't over. But having been awoken from our lethal slumber of the past couple generations, we must recognize this isn't even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps, and let us hope, the end of the beginning. I'm Seth Leibson. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. I was postulating yesterday or the day before, or posing the question. What does it say about uh, the Republic Excuse me. What does it say about the Democratic Party and Joe Biden that he makes such um, such a use, such a negative use, and, con- and tries to invoke such a negative connotation over the word MAGA as he keeps calling MAGA Republicans? As I just saw, he did in speeches today about his budget, as he's doing in every speech now. They've obviously poll tested the notion that MAGA Republicans is 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 some kind of clang word or some kind of scary word to people. I think it's only his base, but what does it say about a party? Will someone ask him, please, a journalist, someone, please ask him, what is it about making America great again that bothers you so much? That's what MAGA stands for. Why do you always say MAGA is a negative thing? And then play that next trope of yours, which is, this isn't your father's Republican Party. I have no idea what he's talking about. Was he saying kind things about Ronald Reagan? Was he saying kind things about Mitt Romney? Was that the Republican Party he wishes we had? But we'll come back to that in a moment. There's a bigger theme to that point. Using this phrase of making America great again... As a negative, do the Democrats not want to make America great again? Would someone ask him that? Would someone ask him that, please? I had an emailer um, in the audience, someone who said um, defined himself as uh, one of our one of our uh, more liberal listeners, and he said he thinks that the use of the phrase MAGA is being invoked because. To liberals and to Democrats, a MAGA Republican, someone who wants to make America great again, is someone who wants to go back to a time of Jim Crow and pre-civil rights and segregation. And I had a nice uh, engagement with this listener, and I effectively said, where in the heck would they ever get such that notion? What Republican of any stripe in the last 20 years said they wanted, or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, said they wanted to do that. I said, this is the problem with self-created and defined dog whistles. Only the person who uses the phrase dog whistle hears it. It's nothing we've ever said or nothing we've ever stood for. In fact, if you want a fetishizing of race, that's the Democratic Party. If you want a fetishism of using race for any purpose in public policy, that's the left and the liberals. That's Ibram Kennedy. That's Barack Obama. That's Kamala Harris. That's the entire warp and woof of the Democratic Party. That ain't us. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Well, with the release of his budget uh, this week, uh, Joe Biden is doubling down on his spending plans, adding even more to the federal deficit. And that doesn't bode well for the value of your money. Joe Biden's disconnected view of the economy means there will be no meaningful steps taken to lessen inflation and lower interest rates. Your cash reserves and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling the veteran owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your money. With the stability of gold, Midas Gold Group is the only precious metals dealer that I and Seb Gorka and thousands of you already know. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession. So don't let Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group, MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com or give them a call at 480 Zero three thousand. That's four, eight, zero, three, six, zero, three thousand. I don't know how many of you were able to catch some of the hearings in the subcommittee on the judiciary today with Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi testifying. Um, it's worth watching if you go back and have a chance to do so either at the C-SPAN website or whatever your favorite video browser is. It's worth doing so not just for what uh, E.B. and Schellenberger testified to, but how clueless, rude and nasty I expected, but how truly clueless the Democrats were in even grasping what we're talking about. You know, it's one thing for them to defend their actions when it came to government censorship of social media. It's another thing for them to deny our allegations and charges and proofs. And if you want to kind of get a grasp of why they would want to deny what we're saying or why they would want to deny the very obvious, how can they do so? They just don't care or pay attention or know very much. They really don't. Here's uh, Representative Sylvia Garcia questioning Matt Taiboli and Mac- Michael Schellenberger today. She's Democratic representative from the state of Texas, Houston area. This is a representative. I looked her up. This is a representative with a law degree. Democrat. On this committee. ...by a friend, Barry Weiss? My friend, Barry Weiss. So this friend works for Twitter, or what is what is her... Um... She's a journalist. Sir, I didn't ask you a question. I'm, I'm now asking Mr. Schellenberger a question. Please yes, ma'am. Barry interrupt. Weiss is a journalist. I'm sorry, sir? She's a journalist. So the representative doesn't know who Barry Weiss is. Storied reporter from the Wall Street Journal. Famous columnist for the New York Times. Even more famous for... Resigning from the New York Times and a, now a famous uh, journalist on social media for having created the Free Press. She's a journalist. Do you work in concert with her? Um, yeah. Do you know when she first uh, was contacted by Mr. Musk? I, I don't know. You don't know. So you're in this as a threesome? Um... There was many more people involved than that. There was many more people involved with it. Are you being paid to be here today, either through consulting fees, no. campaign contributions to your not. next run? Absolutely. You this is where they go. This is the. Fir- you know, it's one thing I suppose to be ignorant of key players in this stuff, but to not know Barry Weiss, who Barry Weiss is, if you're a member of Congress, is is weird. But it's even weirder because you are now betraying that you haven't read any, any of the documentation or allegations that she or or Schellenberger have put forward. You didn't come prepared knowing any of that. You just disregarded the mounds and mounds and mounds of evidence. How stupid do you have to be to publicly confess your stupidity? But if you want to know why we're not connecting, that's why. I don't know what to do about it except call them out on it. They simply don't know what they're talking about. And she was so Twitter-pated by all this, I suppose I could use that, no pun intended, that her go-to was, are you being paid here to testify? No, no, they are not. And no, they said they're not. How dumb do you have to be to not know how dumb your questions are? Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Matt Taibbi in his testimony to the Judiciary Committee today said, in a free society, we don't mandate truth. We arrive at it through discussion and debate. Any group that claims the confidence to decide fact and fiction, even in the name of protecting democracy, is always itself the real threat to democracy. That is why anti-disinformation just doesn't work. Any experienced journalist knows experts are often initially wrong, and sometimes they even lie. In fact, when a lead opinion is too much in sync, this itself can be a red flag. We just saw this with the COVID lab leak theory. Many of the institutions we're now investigating initially labeled the idea that COVID came from a lab disinformation and conspiracy. Now, apparently, even the FBI takes it seriously. It's not possible to instantly arrive at truth. It is, however, becoming technologically possible to instantly define and enforce a political consensus online, which I believe is what we're looking at. This is a grave threat to people of all persuasions. For hundreds of years, the thing that's distinguished Americans from all other people around the world is the way we don't let anyone tell us what to think. Certainly not the, government. the First Amendment and an American population accustomed to the right to speak is the best defense left against the censorship industrial complex. If it can knock over the first and most important constitutional guarantee, it will have no serious opponent left anywhere. If there's anything the Twitter files show, it's that we're in danger of losing this most precious right, without which all other democratic rights are impossible that's how he concluded his testimony and then they drew the daggers out who would have normally disagreed with this who with your to use the biden locution in your father's democratic party would have disagreed with this father's democratic party supported and was proud to used the phrase that they were card-carrying members of the ACLU when the ACLU cared about these kinds of things like freedom of speech. So the Democrats on the committee went after Taibbi and uh, Michael Schellenberger, showing they never read any of their research, never read any of their documentation of government attempts to censor social media and efforts successfully to do so didn't know who key reporters were, questioned, as one of them did, whether Tai could even be considered a journalist. And then the really interesting thing that the ranking member of this subcommittee and others were doing, including W. w Wasserman Schultz, former head of the DNC, which was demanding that Tai and Schellenberger reveal their sources, demanding it again and again asking who their sources were. Now, what's interesting about that to me is this is something I know a little bit more about than perhaps others or perhaps some other things, because I was part and parcel of the scandals in 2005 and 2006 when the Washington Post and the New York Times were releasing wartime classified national security secrets. Dana Priest at the Washington Post, James Risen and Eric Lichtblau at the New York Times, they blew a lot of anti-terrorism programs, a lot, because someone purportedly... At either the CIA, the Pentagon or the Department of Treasury or all three were leaking to them about our classified programs, which involved not only were we were keeping captured high value detainees, otherwise known as powerful terrorists, disclosing our allies who were holding them and blowing our relationship with those allies and putting targets on those allies backs with the terrorists, disrupting perhaps the most successful anti-terrorism, non-kinetic anti-terrorism campaign we had, which was the SWIFT program, the finance tracking program we had developed using the SWIFT banking programs and disclosing that, blowing what even some Democrats said was a huge mistake to blow. And when those journalists, Priest, Reisen, Lichtblau, were asked who gave them those documents, because it is a crime, it is a federal crime to give away classified national security intelligence, to leak it, they refused to. They refused to name their confidential sources, and everyone backed them up, and they got Pulitzer Prizes for doing this, all of them. Priest, Risen, Lichtblau, all of them. They got Pulitzer Prizes for doing this and for refusing to reveal their sources, refusing. And they were held up as heroes. Well, give it 15 years, and I guess that's just not something Taibbi and Schellenberger can claim for themselves. The Democrats are demanding to know what their sources, who their sources were. And we're not talking about sources who are committing crimes. It was not a crime to give the information to Taibbi and Schellenberger. In fact, it was ordered by the CEO of the company that they do so. It was not a crime. It was not wartime intelligence. It was intelligence showing how the Democrats were going to war against the American people and trying to conceal things from them. Kind of interesting where the Democrats are defending concealing information from the American people while at the same time demanding to know who the sources are for the reporters that reported on that concealment, isn't it? We call this pretzel logic. Nice work if you can get it, but pretty shameful all the way around. Unless you're at the New York Times or the Washington Post, you don't get the usual arguments, even in the absence of a crime, which the Washington Post and the New York Times may very well have themselves been committing under the Espionage Act, at least according to a plurality of the Supreme Court. But this is what the mainstream press and the Democrats will do. They will wrap themselves up in their Contentions that they're legitimate journalists that should not have to disclose their sources, which is why they rely on anonymous sources so much in going after Republicans or anti terrorism programs. But when the shoe is on the other foot, that argument is nowhere to be found. And the irony, the dramatic irony of all this Matt Taibbi ain't a conservative, Michael Schellenberger ain't a Republican. He used to work for Maxine Waters, and as he testified today, he voted for Joe Biden. Boy, they just hate it when you don't follow corporate capital C or party capital P form, don't they? Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. You've probably been hearing me talk about Y Refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions, they would love for you to contact them at 888-Y-REFI-34. They will happily put you in touch with any number of their satisfied clients and customers in the Phoenix area who have been very successfully investing with them. They'd like me to ask you how your IRA is doing as well. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent On Joe Biden's economy, the Fed, or the stock market? You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com, invest the letter Y, -Y R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 888 Y-REFI-34, that's 888-Y-REFI-34. One more thing about this shameful display by the Democrats today at the House Judiciary Committee. It's amazing how much they didn't want this stuff out there about the government efforts to censor social media. They're on the wrong side of every case argument and debate from the beginning of the First Amendment until yesterday. I think probably almost every journalism school still teaches the Pentagon Papers case. I think they probably do. I certainly know every law school does because it's about the First Amendment rights of the media especially in reporting on government activity. Two of the most liberal members of the Supreme Court in the Pentagon Papers case, Hugo Black and William O. Douglas, wrote the following. The press was to serve the governed, not the governors. The government's power to censor The press was abolished so that the press would remain forever free to censure the government. Direct quote. Difference between censor and censure. Censorship is obviously putting the quietus on something either through prior restraint or some other violation of the First Amendment. Censuring with a U means criticizing The government's power to censor the press was abolished so that the press would remain forever free to censure the government. Pentagon Papers case was about The New York Times and The Washington Post. Where the hell are they today?